Hello. Welcome to the Servative Hour. An hour of anti-conservative movement. Call in talk radio. And I thought about making the topic for this show the Mike Flood versus Patty Penzing Brooks election coming up on June 28th, Tuesday, June 28th, special election to replace Jeff Fortenberry. I'm going to do that next week, though. Contrast the two candidates' statements they've made, what they've done, what they intend to do. And also thought about, well, last week the topic was Secular Democrats of Nebraska with the guest Rachel Walter, the chair of that group. And there are a couple of articles I didn't get to. Wanted to do more, um, well, just letting the guest talk rather than reading from articles. But there are a couple good articles. One, how Democrats dumped secularism, found God, and doomed Roe v. Wade. Democrats slide into Christian nationalism, may have gotten Clinton and Obama elected, but it came at a big price. Then also an opinion piece, what comes after the religious right, how the GOP has actually moved away from uh, being so uh, religious and have gotten more nationalistic in their concerns. But decided to go for the easy topic, one where there's so much material, it's hard to avoid. And that would be the January 6th committee hearings. from mediamatters.org. Chris Sturwalt's testimony implicitly condemned his former Fox colleagues. It's written by Matt Gertz from June 13th, 2022. Chris Sturwalt, who as Fox News's political editor helped lead the network's decision desk during the 2020 election cycle, told the House Select Committee investigating the January 6th insurrection on Monday that it was evident almost immediately that President Donald Trump had lost his re-election bid. Sturwalt's testimony implicitly made the case that his former Fox colleagues spent months either lying to their viewers or revealing <clears throat> their own ignorance by trumpeting the former president's election fraud conspiracy theories. But Fox is a GOP propaganda outlet that has little interest in informing its viewers, so the network ultimately sided with the fraudsters and fired Sturwalt for being correct about the election. Monday's hearing focused on how Trump's big lie that the 2020 election 
had been rigged against him, ended up fueling rioters who sought to subvert the results by attacking the U.S. Capitol on January 6, 2021. The committee aired video clips of several former Trump administration and campaign officials who said that they had told Trump his, quote, rigged election claims were false. Sturwalt explained that the collapse of Trump's early lead in several states, which he seized upon as evidence of election fraud, is actually a well-known process known as the, quote, red mirage that, quote, happens every time because absentee ballots are usually counted later in the tabulation process. And more Democrats vote by mail than Republicans. He added that he and some of his colleagues had gone to pains before the election to stress to Fox viewers that this would happen because the Trump campaign and the president had made it clear that they were going to try to exploit this anomaly. And uh, that was a quote from him there. He further explained that as of November 7th, 2020, when Fox and other networks called the presidential race for Joe Biden, Trump's chances of winning were, quote, none, and the odds of winning the Powerball were greater than the election being reversed. Sturwalt did not directly address the role his network played after the elections, but his remarks amounted to a condemnation of a wide swath of his former colleagues, including hosts Tucker Carlson, Sean Hannity, Laura Ingraham, and Maria Bartiromo for their roles in bolstering Trump's election fraud lies. Fox questioned the election results or pushed conspiracy theories about it at least 774 times in the two weeks after Sturwald's decision desk called the race for Biden. In subsequent weeks, as Trump lashed out at Fox for being insufficiently supportive of his lies and urged his followers to switch to its fringe right competitors, the network's claims became wilder, with hosts describing increasingly Baroque methods by which some shadowy cabal had rigged the election. Trump was watching Fox and its competitors during this period, and he tweeted in response to their election fraud reports dozens of times. He and his supporters also promoted those lies on the same networks, a fact that committee underlined by airing clips of Trump and his personal lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, doing so on Fox. The Fox host's refusal to clearly state that Trump had lost and that the, quote, red mirage had inevitably faded, as Sturwald did in his testimony, helped bolster the fervorish state of the Trumpist right in the days following the election, which accumulated in the January 6th coup attempt. While those who touted Trump's election lies almost universally still have their jobs at the network, Stillwalt does not. He took the blame for Fox correctly calling the state of Arizona for Biden 
and was dismissed during a purge of Fox's so-called, quote, real journalists. Their replacements, in many cases, were Republican political operatives and Trump administration apparatchiks. That's what Fox executives want from their, quote, news personnel these days. Quote, no one ever gets fired from Fox for publishing a story that isn't true, a network staffer bemoaned in 2017. As Stillwalt discovered, Fox staffers who tell the truth about Republicans risk their jobs. And <clears throat> that article can be found uh, on, on MediaMatters.org under the headline, Chris Stirwalt's Testimony Implicitly Condemned His Former Fox Colleagues. And as <clears throat> Aaron was saying, and the sirens were blaring, have uh, some weather going on with the uh, storm moving from the northwest to the southeast, uh, now entering the Lincoln area. It's uh, currently 77 degrees Fahrenheit. Tomorrow predicted to be cooler than today. Uh, low predicted to be 66 degrees Fahrenheit tonight and a high tomorrow of 81. And looking at the radar map. Yeah, looks like the storm is over Lincoln right now. <clears throat> now, in diverting attention away from the January 6th committee hearings. One of the main things the conservative movement media are trying to draw attention to is uh, blaming Nancy Pelosi. In fact, wanting to have hearings on blaming Nancy Pelosi, should they retake the House, for not having the National Guard there. Of course, their claims involve a lot of lies, saying that uh, Trump offered 10,000 National Guard's uh, personnel and that she uh, declined the offer. However, there's no record of him making such an offer or her making such a uh, declination. <coughs> We still don't know why the National Guard was late on January 6th. That's the headline of an article by Dr. Zoom from June 10th, 2022 on wonkit.com. <clears throat> Last night's first hearing by the House January 6th Select Committee clarified several aspects of the attack on the Capitol, including the moment when Representative Liz Cheney, Republican Wyoming, confirmed what had seemed pretty obvious all along. Donald Trump never lifted a finger to send law enforcement or the National Guard to stop the invasion of the Capitol. But there was a surprise. Mike Pence was way more presidential than Trump, 
not only because he finally decided he couldn't try to steal the election, but also in taking steps to get uh, rampaging Trump supporters out of the Capitol. Cheney said, quote, <clears throat> Not only did President Trump refuse to tell the mob to leave the Capitol, he placed no call to any element of the United States government to instruct that the Capitol be defended. He did not call his Secretary of Defense on January 6th. He did not talk to his Attorney General. He did not talk to the Department of Homeland Security. President Trump gave no order to deploy the National Guard that day. And he made no effort to work with the Department of Justice to coordinate and deploy law enforcement assets. Vice President Pence did each of those things. As historian Heather Cox Richardson points out, Pence's actions appear to be part of an unexplained breakdown of the usual chain of command. Pence was acting like a president, and the military leadership acted like generals. But the White House couldn't be bothered to think about the security of Congress. And why would anyone in Trump land want to defend a branch of government full of enemies? The important thing to Trump's people, a group that no longer included Pence, was how it all looked. <clears throat> Quote, Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Mark Milley, testified that Pence was very clear that the military needed to turn up and fast to, quote, put down this situation. In contrast, White House Chief of Staff, Mark Meadows, talked to Milley not about protecting the Capitol, but to say, quote, we have to kill the narrative that the Vice President is making all the decisions. Milley said he saw this, this as, quote, politics, politics, politics. Even now, it's all about the narrative. The hearings can't possibly matter to Republicans because the facts make them look bad. So right before the start of yesterday's hearings, Republicans were right back to presenting alternative, alternative quote, facts about the insurrection. At a presser a few hours before the hearings, Representative Jim Banks, Republican Indiana, who, thank Crom, is not actually on the select committee, just asked some questions that have in fact already been answered. Although that hasn't diminished Republican zeal in trying to shift blame away from Trump and his people, Banks wanted to know, quote, <clears throat> Was Speaker Pelosi involved in the decision to delay National Guard assistance on January 6th? Those are serious and real questions that this committee refuses to even ask. Speaker Pelosi doesn't want to answer those questions because she knows that the answers to those questions leave a trail of breadcrumbs right back to her office, underscoring her negligence, her lack of leadership as the Speaker of the House. End quote. The idea that Nancy Pelosi gave a stand-down order at Capitol Ghazi is one of Donald Trump's favorite lies, although in his telling it's usually accompanied by a second lie in which he insists he ordered 10,000 guard troops to protect the Capitol, <clears throat> which Pelosi foolishly rejected. Multiple fact-checks debunk this, such as the one above by PolitiFact, as well as others from the Washington Post and the Associated Press. 
the latter one specifically regarding the idea that Pelosi blocked a request for troops. If you enjoy hollow mordant laughter, the AP fact check points out that the claim that Pelosi stopped the National Guard was pushed by a tweet from, drumroll please, Representative Jim Banks himself back on July 20th, 2021. At Speaker Pelosi, why did you block the National Guard from protecting the Capitol? Indiana Representative Jim Banks tweeted. Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy posed a similar question on Fox News, saying, quote, Was there a decision by the Speaker not to have the National Guard at the Capitol that day? As the AP explains, the actual decision prior to January 6th had been made by... Quote, the Capitol Police Board, which is made up of the House Sergeant-at-Arms, the Senate Sergeant-at-Arms, and the Architect of the Capitol. The Board decided not to call the Guard ahead of the insurrection, but did eventually request assistance after the rioting had already begun, and the troops arrived several hours later. The House Sergeant-at-Arms reports to Pelosi, and the Senate Sergeant-at-Arms reported to McConnell, a Republican, who was then Senate Minority Majority Leader. There is no evidence that either directed the security officials not to call the guard beforehand, and Pelosi's spokesperson, Drew Hamill, said after the insurrection that Pelosi was never informed of such a request. End quote. We're looking forward to next week's hearings to learn more about what exactly went so wrong inside the Pentagon once the insurrection was underway and why the Guard took so long to deploy. Maybe it was uh, the Lizard people. And uh, that article can be found on wonket.com under the headline, We Still Don't Know Why the National Guard Was Late on January 6th. And I did bring up the PolitiFact uh, from PolitiFact.com. Donald Trump, stated on February 28, 2021, in, in an interview, says he requested, quote, 10,000 National Guardsmen for his January 6th rally, but Nancy Pelosi rejected it. And that's rated as false by PolitiFact Truthometer. And uh, if your time is short, it gives a brief of it. There is no evidence that Trump made a request for 10,000 National Guard troops to be deployed for a rally that he held that he held that preceded the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol. And there is no evidence that Pelosi denied such a request. There's a longer article from Associated Press. Pelosi did not block the National Guard from the Capitol on January 6th. But I want to get on to some other things. Specifically, making fun of all the BS that they put out to support the claim that the election was stolen from them. Oh boy, Trump is mad at Bill Barr for laughing at him. It's an article on wonket.com. That I'll get to in a moment. First, I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you. During the month of May, 
you donated $46,647 to KZUM. We don't know how much of the matching pool we will get, but this is an amazing show of support, and we are very thankful. This summer, we have concerts at Stransky Park, brand new news program on Saturday mornings, and of course, awesome music. So keep it tuned to KZUM. Well, I'll start this article. Oh boy, Trump is mad at Bill Barr for laughing at him. Uh huh. Spy Evan Hurst from June 14th, 2022. Poor Donald Trump down there in Mar a Lago seething because nobody really has his back because nobody with any power actually loves him in their heart. His daughter Ivanka made very clear to the House January 6th Select Committee and to the newspaper that she never really went in for the whole my father won the 2020 election silliness. She also told the committee she agreed with Bill Barr that there was no significant fraud in the election. In response, Trump very lightly threw his daughter under the bus and lost his blank at Bill Barr, saying, among, among other things, that, quote, he sucked, end quote. Quote, Ivanka Trump was not involved in looking at or studying election results, Trump wrote after she had. She said she agreed with Barr's assessment that there was no amount of fraud sufficient enough to overthrow his loss. Quote, it affected my perspective. Ivanka Trump told the, it affected my perspective, Ivanka Trump told the committee about Barr's assessment. Quote, I respect Attorney General Barr, so I accepted what he was saying. Trump fired back Friday that Ivanka, quote, had long since checked out and was, in my opinion, only trying to be respectful to Bill Barr and his position as attorney general. He sucked, exclamation mark. Well, now Barr's full testimony to the January 6th committee is becoming public, and we're really learning the extent of his, probably honest but ultimately self-serving, own under-the-bus throwing of Trump. So Trump got on his Loser Truth social platform and started screaming into the void. Quote, Former AG Bill Barr, a rhino if there ever was one, didn't have the courage or stamina to go after voter fraud, was afraid he was going to be impeached. Trump wrote after Barr's comments were aired, quote, No guts, no glory. End quote. Ha ha. Oh, bless his heart. So, what did Bill Barr say to the committee that made Trump so mad? Well, what didn't he say? First, let us note that Barr made fun of Dinesh D'Souza's piece of uh, dog blank movie, 2,000 Mules, which Trump and D'Souza believe is some sort of smoking gun proving something. He actually laughed at the 2,000 Mules movie, and so did everyone else in the room. Barr said, quote, I was holding my fire to see what the photographic evidence was, end quote. <clears throat> you know, just in case Dinesh D'Souza had made a movie that was an absolute dog blank. But he hadn't. Barr made fun of the entire premise of D'Souza's, quote, smoking gun, his nutbag cell phone data conspiracy theory that underpins the entire point of the film, quote, from Bill Barr. 
My opinion then, and my opinion now, is that the election was not stolen by fraud, and I haven't seen anything since the election that changes my mind on that, including the 2000 Mules movie, he said, followed by laughter. In response, D'Souza raged and raged and said Bill Barr doesn't even understand geotracking and that he, he is also very fat. <laughs> no, really? Yes, really. To which Dinesh D'Souza did tweet, Bill Barr is the stereotypical small-town sheriff, overweight and largely immobile, whose rank incompetence results in the whole town being robbed from under his nose. Then asked to explain how it happened, Fatso breaks into laughter and insists the robbery itself is ball blank. Yeah, Dinesh. Fabulous. But this post is not about Dinesh D'Souza's rage. It is about Donald Trump's rage. Barr seemed to suggest that there was a time when Trump was more normal and when he could talk to him like a human being. Quote, before the election, it was possible to talk sense to the president. After the election, he didn't seem to be listening. End quote. We are skeptical, but this is all part of Bill Barr's narrative that he had to quit when he quit because that was when things got crazy. Barr made fun of Trump's weird belief that there had been, quote, big massive dumps of votes in Detroit that were somehow fraudulent. He asked, quote, did all the people complaining about it point out to you you actually did better in Detroit than you did last time? If you've been curious why big massive dumps was trending on Twitter at one point yesterday, this is why. <clears throat> he told Trump, all his conspiracy theory delusions about fraud in Philly were, quote, absolute rubbish. He said Trump was bellyaching about fraud before anybody had, had even had a chance to look and see if there was any fraud. He said he thought Trump was, quote, detached from reality. He said the conspiracy theories about Dominion voting machines were idiotic. Quote, I specifically raised the Dominion voting machines, which I found to be among the most disturbing allegations, disturbing in the sense that I saw absolutely zero basis for the allegations. But they were made in such a, such a sensational way that they were obviously were influencing a lot of people, members of the public, Barr said. Clearly, Bill Barr is the devil, and he is bad. <laughs> and that's true, but not for the, the reason Trump thinks. And it's now 11.31 p.m. Central Daylight Time. And uh, this is KZUM Lincoln and KZUM HD 89.3 FM, KZUM.org online. Well, the uh, topic is still the January 6th committee hearings. It's just reading... Article, oh boy, Trump is mad at Bill Barr for laughing at him. They're laughing at him. <coughs> yes, they are. Okay. But really, at the end of the day, again, it's laughing that's hurting Trump the most. Brilliant hero writer Dahlia Lithwick wrote an entire column about what a good time Barr seemed to have in that deposition. Laughing with those witch hunters, this man who did so much in service of Trump, who did so much to undermine American democracy, to prop up Trump's white supremacist authoritarian presidency, 
who acted as little more than Trump's personal lawyer when he was attorney general, but who then noped out at the last minute in a last-ditch effort to save his own reputation. Uh, nice try, bud. That guy, when he got behind closed doors, just laughed and laughed and laughed at the blanking loser. <clears throat> the Donald. Quote from Lithwick. He used words like rubbish and nonsense and bull blank and garbage and crazy and annoying and idiotic and stupid to describe frequently with a wide smile how fundamentally silly Donald Trump's claims about the 2020 election being stolen really were. Of course, Lithwick suggests that in a way this was still all a joke to Barr to begin with reminding us that Barr was on board with Trump stealing the election before he abandoned ship, and that Barr said just recently that if it came down to it, he'd vote for Trump in 2024. Well, you only live once, blanket, etc. So clearly, we can look at Barr's laughing on a number of levels. But Trump can only see it on one level, laughing at him. Yay. Oh, the conservative uh, hour is followed by the groove machine, although uh, the host of the groove machine might not be able to make it in tonight, so there's some pre-recorded programming that I will put on when this show ends. But usually the groove machine is on from midnight until 2 a.m. Wednesday mornings. That's the groove machine. All right, so Bill Barr is laughing at Dinesh D'Souza and Donald Trump and all the claims made of a stolen election. Steve Bannon, sob, not gonna let, sob, Bill Barr, sob, bully Dinesh D'Souza, sob like that, sob, oh no. Yeah, Steve Bannon, not gonna let Bill Barr bully Dinesh D'Souza like that. This is by Evan Hurst from June 14th, 2022. In our post on Donald Trump having conniptions at former Attorney General Bill Barr over Barr's House January 6th Select Committee testimony, we noted that Dinesh D'Souza is also blubbering like a beclowned fool. You see, Barr and the cool kids on the committee were caught on tape laughing and laughing and laughing and laughing and laughing at Dinesh's total dog-blank election-stealing movie, 2,000 Mules, which has been debunked by pretty much everybody who's bothered to look. As the Washington Post's Philip Bump noted, it's not even a good conspiracy theory. It's just stupid. If you want to witness the blubbering, check out Dinesh's Twitter, He's retweeting absolute nobodies, we guess, to make himself feel better, and he's just otherwise generally begging for attention. He called Bill Barr fat, which was probably upsetting coming from such an Adonis. As of this writing, this is his most recent and perhaps most pathetic tweet. Dinesh D'Souza did tweet, Barr has been called out. I'd like to invite Bill Barr to a public debate. Dinesh D'Souza issues bold challenge. This would be fantastic television. How to say this lightly, Wonkat has perhaps been meaner to Bill Barr and insulted him more with more glee than any other august literary journal on the planet. 
In that context, we must point out that there are no words to describe how beneath him debating Dinesh D'Souza would be for Bill Barr. But sure, whatever pardoned felon Dinesh D'Souza is literally begging Bill Barr to pay attention to me. And don't worry, because he's not alone in this fight. Riding in on a white steed, his matted shirt hair probably not even blowing in the wind because it doesn't move like that, is benighted hero Steve Bannon, who is also blubbering about leave Dinesh alone. Steve Bannon isn't happy with Bill Barr. We're coming for you, bro. We're going to deconstruct this, and then we're going to rub your nose in it. The days of the deplorables and the days of MAGA just sitting there are over. That's what Steve Bannon did tweet. Quote, We're not going to be blown off by somebody like Bill Barr. Bill Barr, we're coming for you, bro. We're sitting there lying. You're sitting there lying about this. Oh, for heaven's sake. Quote, If you had any decency whatsoever, you would have reached out to Dinesh D'Souza before you smeared him. End quote. He didn't smear Dinesh D'Souza. He laughed at him during a legal deposition in front of a congressional committee. And they all laughed, too. Everybody was laughing, laughing, laughing. One does not, quote, reach out before doing such things. Another quote from Bannon, quote, We're going to deconstruct this. We're going to rub your nose in it, and then we're going to come after you legally, Bannon said. We're not just going to sit here anymore. The days of the deplorables and the days of MAGA just sitting there, and our betters telling us us what it is are over. End quote. Just a reminder, this is Steve Bannon going after Bill Barr on behalf of Dinesh D'Souza because these people are very much fighting right now and they are upset and it is personal. Bannon, also a tour de force of sexual hotness, echoed D'Souza in calling Barr fat. Upset about Bill Barr debunking 2,000 mules, Steve Bannon said Barr has a, quote, fat face and the fight about the 2020 election isn't about Donald Trump. Okay. As Mediaite notes, Bannon's guest here is Catherine Engelbrecht from True the Vote, which plays a starring role in Dinesh D'Souza's very dog-blank movie. Indeed, one of the greatest lies of the whole film was centered around True the Vote, where the film claimed the cell phone tracking that allegedly allowed the group to track ballot mules quote, ballot mules, unquote, also enabled it to solve a murder. If you haven't had enough of Bannon's blubbering, here he is after the first night of January 6th testimony. Steve Bannon is fuming about a criminal indictment of Trump. Quote, I dare Merrick Garland to take that crap last night and try to indict Donald Trump because we're going to win in November and we're going to impeach you and impeach everybody around you. Blank, screw the white... We're going to impeach you, end quote. (laughs) Sounds like he's going through some things. Yeah, and that's Steve Bannon. Yeah, local afternoon drive time right-wing radio host is still flogging that Mules movie. Next time I call into him, I'll have to ask him if he looked up uh, Dinesh... Atlanta murder. What they're referring to is where the film claims that uh, 
their tracking data was so accurate that it solved a cold case murder. But in actuality, it wasn't a cold case. The suspects had been picked up within a week of the murder, and Dinesh's group didn't turn over their uh, data until two months later. And actually, there's no evidence that they actually turned anything over. They just said they turned it in over two months later. So, yeah, they didn't solve any murder. They lied about it. But it's all about the grift. If you can sell your 2,000 Mules movie and make a lot of money and get all the local right-wing radio clowns and syndicate... Well, the syndicated ones aren't promoting the movie. It's too stinky for them. That's why they won't mention it on uh, Fox News or Newsmax. But uh, making the rounds of uh, the local conservative movement media hosts, yeah, Dinesh, <clears throat> still raking it in. It's all about the grift. Oh, and Kim Gulfoyle, Don Jr.'s boy, uh, girlfriend, got $60,000 to intro Disgusting Boyfriend and more Trump January 6th grifting tales. Okay. <clears throat> this is by Evan Hurst from June 14th, 2022. Here's a story the House January 6th Select Committee revealed yesterday, which we really don't want you to miss. On that day... Kimberly Guilfoyle reportedly got $60,000 to say nice things about her gross boyfriend, Donald Trump Jr., for two whole minutes, as she was introducing him during the now infamous hate rally that preceded the Trump Capitol terrorist attack. This might seem unreasonable. And it seemed like it at first to us. But then we took a second to think about how difficult it would be to fill two minutes saying nice things about Donald Trump Jr. And then we were like, okay, yeah, maybe this that is just the going rate for that. This isn't something that was revealed during the hearing, but rather that Democratic Representative Zoe Lofgren said in an interview with Jake Tapper but it was very much related to all the election, quote, fundraising, unquote, Trump was doing in the weeks and months leading up to January 6th, which the committee exposed at the end of yesterday's hearings. Quote, It's a grift, Lofgren told Tapper. $60,000 for two and a half minutes, she said. Quote, People were conned, said Lofgren. They were conned into believing <coughs> that this election had been stolen. The big lie was also a big ripoff, Lofgren said in an interview and during the hearing. During the hearing, Lofgren explained that Trump raised $250 million off his followers for an, quote, official election defense fund. Did that fund even exist? LOL, please. Here's a big block quote summary from CNN on the presentation that came at the very end of yesterday's hearings. Instead, the committee claimed that most of the money raised went to the, quote, Save America PAC, which Trump created on November 9th, 2020, less than a week after the election. The PAC then made a series of large donations to a handful of other groups. More than $5 million went to Event Strategies Incorporated, the company that ran President Trump's January 6th rally on the ellipse that preceded the attack on the Capitol, according to the committee. 
Uh, also among the groups that received donations from Trump's newly created PAC was the Conservative Partnership Institute, a political organization led by former White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows that the committee said received $1 million from the Save America PAC. The committee also claimed that $1 million went to the America First Policy Institute, a conservative organization which employs several former Trump administration officials. More than $200,000 was also donated to the Trump Motel Collection. Trump Hotel Collection. <clears throat> the Trump team sent out as many as 25 fundraising emails a day, according to the committee's financial investigator, Amanda Wick. Quote, they knew the claims were false, said Wick during the video played during the Monday's hearings. Quote, I don't believe there is actually a fund called the Election Defense Fund, said Hannah Alfred, a former Trump campaign staffer, in a video played during Monday's hearings. In that same video presentation, Gary Kobe, a former Trump campaign digital director, responded yes when asked if the Election Defense Fund was a marketing tactic. Quote, 30 minutes after the last fundraising email was sent, the Capitol was breached, Lofgren said during Monday's hearing. And then it has the video of the presentation there. As CNN notes, neither Lofgren nor committee chair representative Benny Thompson said out loud that all this means Trump and company committed financial crimes. Quote, We're a legislative committee, Lofgren said, and it's clear that he intentionally misled his donors, asked them to no donate to a fund that didn't exist, and used the money raised for something other than what is said. Now it's for someone else to decide whether that's illegal or not. That's not the purview of a legislative committee. Committee member Adam Schiff agreed that this is something that the Department of Justice needs to investigate, but also said it's not for him to say what is and what is not crime. But you know how they are over there on MSNBC? They're like, crime, 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 crime. So here's a tweet from MSNBC legal analyst Barb McQuaid. Quote, Interesting theory today. The big fraud was also the big ripoff. Trump's lie was used as a fundraising ploy. Could be a basis for wire fraud claims. Whole bunch of people using words like wire fraud, actually. Oh, but what if Trump really, really believed he had won the election and grifted off that? Here's some more TV legal analyzing tearing apart the so-called Costan... Costanza defense, wherein George Costanza argued on Seinfeld that it's not a lie if you believe it. As MSNBC host Ari Melber shows here, the committee has more than proven that Trump knew he was lying <coughs> uh, from the very beginning, and he knows he's lying now. Or in the words of legal expert Daniel Goldman, who prosecuted one of Trump's impeachments, Donald Trump did not and does not reasonably believe there was election fraud. Under the doctrine of conscience, conscious avoidance, he cannot put his head in the sand to avoid reality. The, quote, delusional sociopath defense would not hold up in a criminal trial. So, will Attorney General Merrick Garland do anything about it? He says they're watching the hearings over at DOJ. Hopefully, they're jotting down a few notes.
And... Then, uh, Rudy Giuliani. Rudy Giuliani knows how many fingers you were holding up on election night. Do you? This is also by Evan Hurst from June 14th, 2022 from wonkette.com. Know what we have very little interest in? Engaging with Rudy Giuliani, vomit whining all over the internet that he was not was not either drunk on election night and he was just hopped up on Diet Pepsi and that he just cannot figure out why Trump morons Jason Miller and Bill Steffen step in would tell the House January 6th Select Committee that were they paid to claim Rudy Giuliani? Yes, Rudy Giuliani was drunk. <clears throat> the good news is that Giuliani has now deleted the tweets. If somehow you missed them, here's the text, now removed. Giuliani did tweet, quote, I am disgusted and outraged at the outright lie by Jason Miller and Bill Stepien. I was upset that they were not prepared for the massive cheating, as well as other lawyers around the president. I refused all alcohol that evening. My favorite drink, Diet Pepsi, Rudy W. Giuliani. And then he actually asked, quote, Is the false testimony from Miller and Stevian because I yelled at them? Are they being paid to lie? We know what you're thinking. Wow, Rudy tweeted these at what time in the morning? As the Daily Beast reports, other very honest people like Bernie Carrick and Trump syncophant idiot Boris Epstein came running to regale us with stories of Rudy Giuliani's sobriety. Yes, that Rudy Giuliani. Former NYPD commissioner Bernard Carrick ripped into Miller while stating Giuliani, quote, was not drinking at all. The longtime Trump world accolade added while appearing on Steve Bannon's War Room podcast, quote, I don't know why he, Miller, made this statement. Bannon, a longtime pal of Miller's, insisted that Giuliani, quote, has too much respect for the White House and office of the presidency ever to ever be intoxicated like that. Likewise, ex-Trump aide Boris Epstein claimed that Giuliani was, quote, sober that night. Ha ha, we are trying to imagine Rudy Giuliani, yes, that Rudy Giuliani, having too much respect for the office of the presidency. Yes, the office his buddy Donald Trump continually smeared with blank for four solid years to be drunk at the White House. We are also LOLing at the fact that Jason Miller, as that says above a, quote, longtime pal of Steve Bannon, is now the target of the wraths. So put this on top of the wraths that Bill Barr is experiencing from Bannon and Company for, among other things, making fun of Dinesh D'Souza's dog blank movie. Anyway, like we said, Rudy deleted the tweets, don't know why, maybe the entire world laughing at him and calling him a drunk had something to do with it. The Daily Beast's Zachary P Patrizzo reports that Rudy blocked very many people who made fun of him. And then it's got uh, <clears throat> some of him blocking the tweets. Of course, Rudy being reported drunk on election night is just one of billions of pieces of the evidence that 
committee has. But a lot of people seem to be forgetting that reports of Trump listening to drunk-ass Rudy about prematurely uh, announcing a victory speech instead of listening to allegedly cooler heads are not new. It was in Carol Lenning's and Philip Rucker's book, I Alone Can Fix It, and we were talking about it way back a year ago. Quote, A drunken Rudy Giuliani repeatedly urged Donald Trump to, quote, just say we won on election night last November, according to a new book, even as the key states started to slip away from the president and defeat by Joe Biden drew nearer. And anyway, run out of time. So next week, I'm going to put together something comparing uh, Petty Panzing Brooks to uh, Mike Flood and the uh, June 28th, Tuesday, June 28th, uh, special election that's coming up. So anyway, this has been the Servative Hour. Thank you very much for listening, and good night to you all. <laughs>